Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once a Bitten podcast and I am going to kick it off with a PSA, a pleb service announcement from the organizers of this year's, yes, this year's Bitcoin conference, April 6th to 9th, 2022. It's coming up. Largest Bitcoin event in the world. It's going to be in my Miami Beach in Florida and all four days will be jam-packed with exclusive content. Now, four days, I hear you cry. Yes, day one is industry day for enterprising Bitcoiners who are looking to build in the space, looking to network, looking to uh, find investment or look for employers, whatever it is, get out there and pitch whatever it is that you're doing. Days two and three are for the general conference, all the speakers and everything else and all the good fun. They have got lined up Nayib Bukele, president of El Salvador, who has promised a, uh, a little announcement, as well as people you know, such as Michael Saylor, Elizabeth Stark, Jack Mallers, Adam Back, and everybody else that's going to be there speaking. And then it finishes on the fourth day with Bitcoin Music Festival, Sound Money Fest, headlined by rapper and fellow Bitcoiner Logic. They're also going to have Steve Aoki, CL, Run the Jewels, San Holo, Deadmau5, and many more artists. Last year's conference did sell out, and this year is on par to on pace, excuse me, to be three times larger. So make sure you grab some tickets. You can use my link in the show notes or use Bitten at checkout and you'll get 10% off. But please make sure only buy these tickets if you're able to enter the US of A. The land of the free have strict very strict medical restrictions on anybody coming in. Now, if you're from a country that they're going to accept, go for it. If you're in the US already, you have no excuse. Get your tickets for the Euro plebs. Look into it and, you know, think about medical decisions. And, you know, it is just a party at the end of the day and there will be many more to come. So do your own research, please. Make sure of that. If you cannot travel and you have bought some tickets, they will be refunded or you will be able to sell them uh, closer to the time, I am sure. So with that said, I would also like to thank the show sponsors who have also helped me with the show and keep the show alive. I think you know who they are by now. CoinCorner.com, Relay.ch, Bitcoin Reserve, and the pond all four of these companies bitcoin champions they're going to help you stack some sats they've got your back they will help educate you and your family they are welcoming bitcoiners with open arms and make sure you take control of your keys this is shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten where you can get the bitbox 02 hardware wallet that will get you a five percent discount all links like i said are in the show notes this rip is with Andrew from Bitcoin Reserve, so you'll get to learn a little bit more about them and what they do. I hope you enjoy it. Please reach out to him after the show. Take care. Here's Andrew. All right, we're recording. Andrew, great to see you. Yeah, great to see you too. I've uh, been following the podcast for a long time, so it's uh, very exciting to participate now. Yeah, thanks for having me on. 
Well, th- thanks for following and thanks for all your work and thanks for me- having me on the spaces uh, a few weeks back uh, at time of recording. That was good fun. Um, we can get into that again if you want, that, that subject. But um, as usual, I have to step aside because Lauren is here. Uh, as you know, she asks the first question if you're, if you're a listener of the show. All you, Lauren. Good, you. Doing well. So, uh, all right. So, what, what's what's the first question? Okay. So, my first question is, wait. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my first question is, why do you like Bitcoin? Oh boy. Why do I like Bitcoin? I like it for many different reasons, but um, gosh, I, I can't just answer that with one one answer. I mean, I like it because it allows people to live in freer areas. Uh, I like it because it, it ends uh, this monopoly that the government has on money. I think it's just totally crazy that like throughout human history, only the government has had the ability to make money <laughs> or, you know, to, to release money. So um, yeah, I, I, and honestly, I'd say the biggest thing that I like about Bitcoin is the Bitcoiners personally one of those yeah 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 how does that feel normal do you ever do you ever think to yourself wait a minute i'm a bitcoiner not that much no No? well maybe you will that'll just start seeping in don't worry Mm. the mind virus is real (laughs) do you have any more questions uh, Are you going to relay mommy's question? Because yes, mommy had a question, but she's too shy to come in and, and ask it. Mm-hmm. So her question was, do you like tacos? Do I like tacos? Of course. Of course I like tacos. I, I live in Mexico. It's impossible to not have tacos you, you Tacos in this country. You can't just move to Mexico and not like tacos. Like that's illegal. Yeah, exactly. It's just not what happens. You have to like tacos if you live in Mexico. Yeah. They're also super cheap too. Like food in Mexico is just extremely cheap, especially meat compared to the US. Like, uh, like one taco costs you know, maybe 16 pesos, which is less than a dollar. So, and you can get it like a bag of churros. If you want to have like uh, some hedonism, you can have a bag of churros for like maybe 20 pesos. So that's a dollar and you get like five big ones. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the food here is pretty good. We're moving to Mexico. All right, let's go. Uh, don't, don't tempt me. <laughs> I want to be there. There's a lot, a lot of, of Europeans are. Yeah, it's it's we're going to talk about this. Uh, you know, Andrew's a refugee. Do you know what that means? Oh, you'd have to learn Spanish. Yeah, but that's fine. You can speak French. It, it's just the food. It's just the food I'm going for and the Bitcoiners. That's really it. <laughs> food, Bitcoiners, and learn another language. And the beaches. Okay, Maybe but what kind of language. tacos? What kind of tacos? Meat tacos. I, um, yeah, I, I haven't really had tacos. Okay, well, ask. There's someone here we could ask. No, I'm talking to you. Have I had a taco? No, not in the real sense. I don't think. Not, (laughs) not, not in the way that you know. Yeah. Um, No, not a true taco. Andrew can tell us exactly what a true taco is and looks like, and some of the fillings. Yeah, they're they're entirely different than like tacos from you know maybe where you're at or where I'm from, or of course I'm from Los Angeles actually. So there's, I have had real tacos before this. Yeah. It's uh, I don't know. I mean, th- it's funny because 
Uh, in Mexico, you'll have people cooking tacos like out in the street. <laughs> and, you know, it, I don't know. It's just funny. You'll see like this big piece of meat on some taco stand, you know, right on the street. And uh, people, people in Mexico, I think, have a lot better immunity. They're not, you know, there's this weird thing that's happened in the last 30 years, I think. Like everybody is just afraid of germs and wants to constantly stay clean all the time. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that makes the tacos sound very good, though, if I'm talking about them being. I love a bit of street food. Yeah, no, bring <laughs> yeah. it. So what kind of different fillings do they have? Oh, man, you could have bistec, asada. Um, I mean, you can have cow tongue, <laughs> which is I, I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, yeah, you can have a lot of different kinds. I mean, yeah, so that's. I mean, again, that's the nice thing about Mexico is the, the cost of living and the cost of food are so much cheaper here in this country. So I think that's, I mean, along uh, the fact of you don't have to have, uh, you know, a COVID test to enter or a vaccine to enter. Um, it's just such an appealing place for people who want to seek freedom because it's so cheap. So, Yeah. Right. And then this is another question from mommy. And then I have another question from me. Okay. Uh, so the other question from mommy was, um, what is your favorite food in Mexico? Not including the taco. <laughs> oh, what is my favorite food? Not including the taco. That's tough. Um, hmm. Oh boy. I would say alambre. <laughs> which pretty much a lombre is just this big like concoction of meat and like onion and it's like it's like the the, the stuff that goes in the tacos just without the tacos and it's just a bunch of meat <laughs> so yeah i like the lombres there's also something called do you drink coffee no no okay okay that's that's probably a lot better but i i like coffee and they have something called cafe de olla and uh it's really good it's got like cinnamon and and uh yeah this like dried fruit so yeah they got a lot of really interesting things here i mean they put spice on their candy <laughs> so what? it's like yeah, oh, yeah. they do you, if you go to mexico What's... you're gonna be eating chilies with everything no no I, yeah they put like hot it. sauce on their popcorn and they put lime have... on their popcorn <laughs> I will have to have like five jugs of milk right right next to me if I'm drinking like uh, if I'm eating a chili. What was your next question? My next question was: Have you ever eaten horse meat? Horse meat? I've never eaten horse meat. Actually, I've eaten deer. Um, mm -hmm. I've eaten bison. I have not eaten horse meat. That was an interesting one. I wasn't expecting really that. Why are the left field? I didn't huh. know. Why are you asking that? I don't know because one horse meat could maybe could be in a taco, and you never know. Uh, I know where you're. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When we were in, I was um, traumatized. When we were in Andorra, we went to uh, a bar owned by an Argentinian guy, and he'd made horse meat uh, empanadas. But they didn't we... tell us that. No, he did. He told me. I just didn't tell you guys. <laughs> So, so we tried that. Yes, and they were delicious. Right. Did you? But you didn't realize it was horse meat until I didn't realize. After you ate and then, like, like I ate know. it at Samuel either, mm -hmm. and then you told Sophia, and then we went to like 
two different bars or something like that and then like he, Sophia was like hey do you know what we're in this empanadas and I was like yeah like, tell me like, you know the and she was like no and I was like then what is it then and daddy stood up and she, he was like horse me and I was like what I was like, <laughs> I was like I also go horse riding so right right so right. Well, yeah, I mean, it, that's, that's, um, so just for some disclosure, uh, I got, I got into the vegan perspective on things, uh, over a year ago and yeah, I, I mean, I, and I, it's, so anyways, I'm bringing this up because it's one thing that vegans talk about a lot, which is kind of interesting is, uh, you know, they, they call it speciesism. Like why, why do you choose to eat a cow or a chicken and not, and have a dog as a pet? <laughs> like mm. what's, what's up with that? Yeah. Um, it is kind of an interesting concept, but the, the thing, the thing with that, uh, basically my conclusion is that, you know, the human body needs meat mm. and, there's a huge difference between, you know, letting an animal have like a full good quality life where it's running around and it's eating healthy grass yeah. and stuff like that versus an animal that's like brought up in a, you know, in a factory farm. So yeah. I don't know. I hope, I hope that horse like had a good horse No, it life. did. Like every time <laughs> we grew up the mountains, we just like saw horses on the side of the mountain. We went up the mountain and then like, we found like loads of horses. We always saw baby uh yeah they just roam free man they were just like all over the place they had bells though hmm. so then like, well they have the they have the cowbell well it'd be a horse oh, bell <laughs> and the cows were just like so far away we could barely see them we were like whoa look at that humongous field with cows in like like yep. they were so that was so the, like, there's something special about uh <laughs> european mountain farming it's amazing to to see because you just have these herds of goats or sheep or cow or horse as in the case in andorra and, and other parts of europe which um still exist i just, you know the, the only place we've ever come into contact with it is uh is in andorra um but they they just have the roam of the mountains and they just go and eat whatever the hell they like and they have like the a whale of a time out there and they have the bells around their necks if you need them so the um yeah so the farmer can go up there in his quad and whatever else and with his sheepdog or it wouldn't be a sheepdog if it's chasing sheep, right? Why, why aren't they called cow dogs? You know, whatever it's rounding up, right? <laughs> you know? I don't know what they would call German that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and well, uh, yeah, that's the way it will go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and it's great. Um, and of course, they um, the farmers will do their best to protect the animals from the other natural predators. You know, if that be a wolf or a fox or whatever else, and it's um. It's cool when when you see it up close and personal like that. Uh, it, it's like wow, it harkens back to the uh, the old days. And we saw it as well in the mountains above uh, Lake Como in in Italy. Uh, you could drive right to the top of one of these peaks and all the way up there. Generational farming, as far as you can see, uh, you know, in in the European sense, and it's yeah, it's very cool. Didn't we go mm -hmm. to that farm where we got like free cow hall or something like that? Yeah, well, that was just where we live, just yeah. close here yeah and um we've um after talking with um texas slim and learning about his beef initiative that kicked us into gear and we found a farm here that can provide us with uh with fresh beef and he gave us nice. some steaks to to try that, actually that is awesome mm -hmm. yeah that's the and, way to go 
And you bring up tongue. I mean, uh, I grew up eating we cow tongue don't... sandwiches. My, my father still loves tongue. It's still something you can readily buy in, in the UK. It looks very much just like a sliced ham. Whereas here in, the, hmm. in France, um, you can go into any supermarket and, like, and the, the whole is, like, thing that is there. Big. And it looks <laughs> like, um, yeah, yeah. But daddy, didn't their granddad put it in our sandwiches? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's what, what else are you going to do with it? Throw it away? He can eat it, but not me. <laughs> right, well, yeah, questions? I mean, I... <laughs> Sorry, Andrew, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you probably wouldn't even be able to, like, tell the difference, really, if nobody told you what it was. You know? Yeah, exactly says what happened to the, to the horse, mate. Exactly what happened. Like, oh, you ate horse meat. Yeah. Why didn't you tell me? If it's cooked or right. cured or dried or salted and then sliced nice, then, it, you know, it's just another dry meat, mm. dry cured meat or something like that. Looks great. Mm. Okay. Yeah. You finished? Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Your questions. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Thanks. See ya. Great yeah. questions. See ya. <laughs> I cannot forget the bye. Yeah. <laughs> bye. <laughs> and don't forget to bring in the rest of that bit you gotta have you gotta have the staff well trained yeah sure uh i think it's a little too early for you to to crack into a um is corona still the beer in mexico or is that just some kind of like uh stupid gringo meme yeah it's like kind of a gringo thing it's not really i mean yeah it's not really like the main beer in mexico yeah it's really bud light I, I can't stand beer person. I, I I feel so bloated. I like wine better. I think all alcohol really just sucks, basically. <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's tough. It's tough because uh tequila, man. You gotta you gotta go down the tequila rabbit hole. Yeah, I mean, oh, I, I've actually heard that tequila and mezcal are apparently a lot better for your body than wine and beer for whatever reason. Uh, I guess it has to do with the way they're married and, and you know, the amount of sugar they have. Um, yeah, so. I guess in a beer, it would be the, um, like the, the carbohydrate content. Um, who knows? I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to look too closely because I love beer. So you know, I, I'm just happy to turn a blind eye to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been the drug of choice for society for thousands of years, and you know, Jesus made made the stuff, so made the wine. So yeah, it is what it is. Absolutely, exactly. Nicely done. Nicely said. Although then he did do the bread thing as well, which uh, you know you, you're going to trigger the keto crowd. That's true. That's true. Yeah, man, the carnivore diet. I used to think Bitcoiners were were just uh, like these weird fanatics who were just oddly obsessed with meat. <laughs> and uh, and now my diet is pretty much like just meat and fruit. And uh, I feel great. I've, I feel very good. I feel like I have tons of energy at jujitsu. Um, I feel mentally like more clear uh, as I eat more meat. And um yeah, you know, it's interesting too, because I I was I was I forget who I was listening to, but they were talking about the price of meat and you know the the price of meat, the World Economic Forum and all these politicians talking about how how you shouldn't eat meat and Bitcoiners liking meat are all intricately related. And because uh, meat is is you know the the main food to reflect inflation. And um, you know, so 
it, it, it just only makes sense that, you know, inflation's going up. They want to hide inflation. So they want to have us eat, you know, bread, carbs, cheap fiat food. If you look at uh, what the fuck happened in 1971.com, uh, chicken is like the, the most popular meat and chicken production just skyrocketed compared to all other meats in 71. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting rabbit hole, this, this carnivore diet thing. Uh, and yeah, so if, like you said, the price of meat is a direct uh, reflection of inflation. It's also a direct reflection of good health. That is true. That is true. I don't know any personally. I know they exist, but I, I don't know anybody that's been a vegan for longer than 25 years. I know tons of people who were vegans and, um, and their heart is definitely in the right place. But all of them after around, you know, 15, 20 year mark just could not do it anymore. And they're forced to have this, you know, esoteric philosophical conversation with themselves, which is why do I need to, why do I need to kill something in order to stay alive? You know, that's kind of an interesting conversation to have. How did, I mean, let's geek out on this for a little while. I don't think I've ever been down this rabbit hole with anyone before. Um, Maybe Spetsky because he, he, he called himself uh, a fucking soy boy pussy. I think he called himself when he was like, like 10 years ago when he went down, like, you know, you'd never, you'd never expect those words to come out of his head. Uh, but you, you were pulled down that rabbit hole at some stage. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, it, it's a, it's a difficult, um, it's a difficult thing because, you know, uh, again, the vegans have a valid point as far as the factory farming. And I mean, it's, it's not an, as a meat eater, I don't want to eat meat from a factory farm. They live horrible lives. I mean, they're, first of all, the animals are treated like absolute garbage. So that's a factor, which does affect the quality of the meat. And then second, they're fed absolute chemical nonsense. I mean, in Argentina, you saw like, that's the way it should actually be uh cows should just be walking around all day eating grass you know but there are people who think that's bad for the environment <laughs> which yes. i can't imagine just being in a beautiful mountainous area with tons of grass and just seeing all these cows hang out and eat and just you know litter the view and think that's bad you know yeah. um so yeah where was i going with that uh the factory farming yeah so how did you find your way into that um kind of rabbit hole Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I had, I, I have some vegan friends. Uh, and so naturally like there was sort of an influence there and I'm, I'm the kind of person where I have to try things in life, even if I, I just, ha I have to learn through experience and that's like a good thing and sometimes a bad thing as well. But, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I personally tried, tried it out and I just could not do it. I mean, I was never full, uh, constant decrease in energy, you know, not as sharp. Um, but I mean, and it's interesting too, because I don't know if this is just because of the way that I was raised growing up in Los Angeles or what, but like I had been raised to look at like bright fruit and vegetables and, you know, plant-based raw stuff as I, I was looking at that as healthy stuff. And now I don't look at broccoli. I don't think that's good for me. And it, it kind of 
contradicts everything I was taught growing up. Like, oh, you should have your vegetables and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so that's another factor. I mean, just just basically buying the propaganda, thinking that red meat is is bad for you, which it, it it's not at all. And I'm no, I'm not like a food scientist or anything. But basically, the concept is meat is essentially a superfood, you know, because the cow cows have like four stomachs and they're constantly eating this grass all day. And they're, you know, spitting it out and putting it in their other stomach and huge stomachs. <clears throat> and they can just fit all this grass in, which is why they eat plants all day. Human beings do not have big stomachs. And so when we're eating the cow, I mean, we're getting all of the nutrients that the cow is taking in from the plants. So, you know, it, it, from that lens, it makes a lot more sense to just eat meat versus eating plants if it's high quality meat. You've outsourced the, uh, the, the, the vegetable intake, if you look at it that way, I suppose. Yeah, pretty much you do. And, and the other interesting aspect too is, is why do we have the natural desire to want to eat meat? Like, why are these, why is Bill Gates throwing, you know, millions or billions or however much money into making fake meat, making it look exactly like meat? Why do we naturally have that craving? There's a reason for that. There's a reason you look at a plate of broccoli and a ribeye and you want to eat the ribeye. And I think people really struggle with health because they've been denying that their whole lives. If you've grown up, you know, maybe like you or I did being told that red meat is bad. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually easy to, I mean, it's fairly easy to just have meat and fruit. I mean, the, the sugar thing is a tough thing to, to catch, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I went down that rabbit hole myself, kicking sugar and uh, kicked all fruit aside and, and anything, um, even beer, because, uh, you know, um, the, uh, the, the sugar content that you get through the carbohydrate, uh, and uh, I tell you, I, I lost like 20 kilos within nine, nine months. It was crazy, but I went militant at it. I, I was like, no, no more sugar in anything. And when you do that for like four to six weeks, you, you certainly, you, you feel the change in you massively. And you might get some headaches. Uh, you might get uh, some other little side effects. But then when you eat like an apple or something, or even just like a small piece of cake, if you're perhaps at somebody's birthday celebration or whatever else, and you're doing the social thing, man, that shit spins you out. When, you, when you've cleansed your body of it and you just take, uh, for want of a better word, you take another little hit, it's like, shit. I'd become numb to this. I really completely numb. And now I, I'm not as militant. <laughs> My family would tell you otherwise, uh, but uh, hmm. you know, I'm not. And uh, you know, we'll go out for a nice dinner and I will, I will never order my own dessert, but I'll always, you know, let's just have a little taste of this one over here. And I'm not going to sure. be the stick in the mud at, at Christmas or a, or, or a birthday party or a cultural thing, you know, uh, but yeah. um, it it's it definitely opened my eyes and and now being more aware to it, uh, watching what's going on with this soy push is just so obvious that we're trying yeah, to yeah it is that they're pushing us onto a um, a new drug, a new toxin, and one that is going to be 
controlled by them and controlled by the uh, the Bill Gates of the world for sure. So seeing this huge soy push and being uh, having my eyes opened to it by the work that Safe has done, you know, talking about this like his chapter in the 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 Fiat Standard about Fiat food is huge, and Texas Slim having Modern T Man on. And, you know, talking about what he saw out on harvest for six weeks and everything he's seeing going on around Texas and how ranchers are just getting pushed to the wall or just being forced to sell out because of these. I mean, he calls it the impact, the medical, pharmaceutical, agricultural complex. And they're all in cahoots with each other. And it's so easy to spot when you can see that everybody's sick because of the food that we're being fed and then okay how much money can we make out of treating the symptom rather than curing the disease that they created in the first place so let's let's keep diabetes running as long as we can because we're making a huge amount of money out of that yep 100% and how sick people are getting through the estrogen uh, intake through the soy that people are eating and, uh, you know, putting in baby foods and all this kind of stuff and the sugar and everything else in, in cereals. And what's really sick is it starts early and they start and they get the kids and they get the kids on the cereals. They get them hooked or in the baby feed. Um, uh, and the, the physiological effects that that's having on the body is so detrimental and it's really sickening. And uh, it's um, very, very sad what's what's going on but thankfully now we have a community of people that are willing to to stand up obviously there are others trying to stand up who aren't in the bitcoin community who have been fighting this fight for a long time but they're not backed by bitcoin right so the, what i love yeah. is the bitcoiners are coming in like they realize they got fuck you money and they're going to go and fight for one of these other whether that's fighting against the education system or fighting against the health system or fighting against um the the um the the, the food complex we can have these battles now. Yeah, we can. Yeah, the food thing is, uh, I mean, it, it, it is very difficult to not be poisoned in this world. I mean, not just food. I mean, the, the air we breathe, the water we drink. I don't know about, I, I actually read an article uh, maybe six months ago saying that I think uh, the UK started putting fluoride in the water fairly recently. I don't, I'm not sure if you know anything about that. Right. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure you guys have fluoride fluoride in your water now which is not good <laughs> um yeah the gmos and the food uh the soy it's it's uh it, it's not good at all and it's very it's sad too because owning bitcoin i think right now already but especially this this will be more true in the future like owning bitcoin will be a matter of do you eat healthy food or do you not and, um, yeah, I, I also agree that, that, you know, the medical industrial complex, I mean, I, I've had a very close family member pass away from cancer and I saw that entire process because it's, it's very easy to want to trust your doctor in a situation like this. It's so scary. Um, but I basically saw, you know, that entire process kill a person through chemotherapy and radiation. And the majority of people who go through chemo and radiation end up dying. Like it's, it's well over half who end up eventually dying. Um, and there are other methods of cancer treatment, which have been 
totally suppressed. So, and if you want to listen to this for anybody listening, there's uh, the Gerson therapy, which uh, basically originates from this guy. Do you mind if I, I I'm just going to elaborate on this. Go uh, for it, just please. Go on a quick cancer rant here. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. So the Gerson therapy um, was created by a man based out of Germany in 1928, I believe. His name was Max Gerson. And essentially is uh, a, it sounds kind of hippie-ish, but it's it's a holistic cure for cancer, which uh, uses basically, you know, very pure foods, uh, actually uses coffee as well, coffee enemas specifically to detox, which, you know, I, I hear apparently coffee enemas are very healthy. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's that. And uh, actually, coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, the country that I am from, the United States, has made Gerson hospitals illegal. Yeah. Really? So in the land of the free, Gerson, yeah, Gerson hospitals are illegal. You can go to uh, Mexico, and they have one in Tijuana, and I believe they have another Gerson hospital in Hungary as well. So that's one option. The other option um, is vitamin B17. That's also another proven cure for cancer. And if you want to go down that uh, rabbit hole, there's an excellent documentary made by uh, the same, coincidentally, the same gentleman who wrote uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island, if you've ever heard of that book. Yeah. Yep. I mean, and and for anybody listening, if you've never heard of The Creature from Jekyll Island, essentially it is, it's, it's this big fat book exposing the Federal Reserve and from a technical standpoint, uh, talking about how the Federal Reserve truly functions, and uh, it's just a complete scam. So, so the author who wrote that also uh, created a world without cancer, in which he talks about vitamin B seventeen, which I believe uh, is either not accessible in the United States or the FDA has the FDA has some sort of issue with vitamin B seventeen. So that's another thing. Um, last thing I will say. So the the last. Uh, cancer cure is uh, called the Rife machine, R-I-F-E, Rife machine. And <laughs> this is the craziest one. Very fascinating. The Rife machine uses uh, sound with vibration and frequency to shatter cancer cells. And, and this may, again, sound like some far out thing, but there have been, uh, this is, this is a wreck recognized concept that sound uh, vibration affects the human body and can either shatter bad cells or shatter good cells, depending on the frequency. Um, there's a really good tech talk. I forget who it's by, but it's basically called, I think it's called uh, curing disease or shattering disease through frequency, something of that sort, but you can look into this topic, but um, yeah, called the Rife machine. Um yeah, all this stuff is, it's totally out there. And it's no coincidence that, you know, so many people are having diseases now because it's, in my opinion, we're being intentionally poisoned. <laughs> there's, there's one more I'd add to that, that, a rabbit hole I got pulled into when my father-in-law was diagnosed. Um, it's Rick Simpson oil. Did you ever look into that? I totally forgot about that. RSO oil. Yeah, I've heard mm. that's great. Yeah. CBD, basically, uh, how you can, um, you, you, how was he distilling it with a rice cooker? I think if I remember rightly, you, you, you buy the, um, the plants and then, um, you stick them into a rice cooker with a certain 
chemical, I can't remember what, which would then draw out the oil. And what you end up with is kind of like this really thick, awful looking sludge, basically. Uh, but, and you'd only need to take a couple of drops of this stuff and it would get in the bloodstream and it'd go through and start, you know, uh, cleansing out your system and, and attacking the cancerous cells. And there's YouTube. You can find that if you just put Rick Simpson in there. He has a website. Anybody that's uh, looking to go into um, into that rabbit hole uh, as well. Yeah, I know a guy uh, who has he ma- he makes his own Rick Simpson oil, and he's cured like twelve people of cancer that have actually like hmm. taken it that he knows. Yeah, and I mean, of course, you know, uh, cannabis is of course uh, illegal and most parts of the earth as well. And that's not a coincidence. I mean, uh, a lot of medicinal benefits come from that and including what you just mentioned, RSO oil. Um, yeah, at a certain point, it's just, is, are these just all coincidences <laughs> that all these things that help people are banned? I don't think so. No, they're not coincidences, Andrew. They're conspiracies, remember? They are. They are conspiracies. And, and that's why we don't talk about them because we're just <laughs> nut jobs. Yeah, I I used to, I, I would imagine the same uh, situation applied to you too. I used to be uh, like afraid of talking about these things with friends and family. And then um, when I was in the military, one day I just I had enough, <laughs> and I just I just said, all right, you know, I, I'm I'm going to speak what's on my mind. I I you know I believe that's the right thing to do if. Uh, if people don't like me as a result, then it is what it is. But um, I think that's a big problem we're having today is people are very afraid of speaking the truth, what they believe is true. They don't want to be criticized for it. Yeah, they're, they're afraid of calling out bullshit because they're going to get canceled by the masses. You know, it, yeah. it, it's madness. Um, and that's why we're seen as so toxic, this, this community that we're in, because we do nothing but call out the bullshit because we don't have to give a fuck anymore because we've got Bitcoin. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. And there's something about a monetary system that's based on truth, which uh, has a community of people which value truth. I mean, it's it's really kind of the, the opposite of fiat currency, which is based on, you know, fraud. And, uh, you know, I, I think if you're if you're living like a fiat kind of life, you have an incentive to look away from the truth, you know? So what pulled you into the military, man? This is uh, an interesting place to go. How, how old were you? What, what, was the, what were the circumstances at, at that point in your life? Yeah, um, I was 17, which is a great thing for a 17-year-old to sign a piece of paper and, <laughs> you know, for the few years after that and just do whatever. Uh, yeah, I was 17. Um, I hated school. I really could not stand school. I did not want to do it at all. I saw everybody going to college and I, I just did not want to do more of that. Um, I've always loved learning and reading and all these things. Like we, we talked about on that one spaces chat, you know, like self-education, but just, I remember sitting in school and just being so pissed off about the fact that I'm having another man tell me what I should read. <laughs> like, that's just ridiculous, you know? All the thousands of books, millions of books out there. You're only allowed to read this one at the same time as these other 30 kids. Like, what the it, fuck is the point of that? <laughs> yeah, it's totally nuts. It's, it's, 
completely nuts. I'm getting a call right now. Hang on. Let me, let me stop this call. Sure. And then, uh, it's my mom. <laughs> She's calling me. Just hey, mom. Birthday. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's your um, birthday. Sorry. Yeah. Happy oh, that's birthday. Right. Maybe I should. Have... Uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> just dug <dunked> yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So the military, um, hated school. I grew up, uh, with a very militaristic family. I was very propagandized. Uh, I'm an Eagle Scout. So I, you know, I, and everybody in my family was also in Boy Scouts. So there's that strong, uh, American cultural, like attachment. And with that comes this reverence for the military, or at least there used to be a lot of reverence for the military, especially after nine 11, you know, um what year was this then and when was 17 uh, I, sorry sorry to dox you any further but did, did that yeah, have did, did did that have like after 9 11 was that a point did that have a big kind of impact on your thinking was it close to then yeah so when 9 11 happened i was four i was right you know i basically didn't even remember it mm-hmm. uh, when i was 17 it was 2015 mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, 9-11, that had a factor in me joining, but um, I mean, I'll say this too. Another factor of me joining was just, I I was not, I mean, it's such a long time ago now that it's, I feel more (laughs) comfortable talking about this stuff, but like, I was not a very happy kid. I hated (laughs) going to school. I mean, school seriously made me miserable. I remember ever since I was, you know, 10 years old kid like coming home and just just hating it so much hating that i had to go there and you know um and i i just wanted to do crazy things like i i, I think as a young man too like young men crave violence in some some way crave violence and crave adventure i wanted to jump out of planes and shoot guns and kill the bad guys and i you know that was kind of my mentality at the time and um I've been doing jujitsu for a long time. I had been doing it before I joined the Marine Corps. Um, so this whole idea of like the warrior combat, uh, it, you know, the morality of violence, like when violence should be used, that was another thing. Like I thought, okay, we're going to have a military uh, either way and the military should have good people in it, you know? So that way they make good decisions. So I wanted to be a good influence in the military, but um yeah, so that's basically why I joined. And a long answer. Any films as well during that period? Because I remember when I was growing up, like the the biggest recruitment film for the U.S. Uh, Navy or Air Force was Top Gun. Yeah, tons of. I mean, you got. Uh, oh man, am I forgetting all the names now? I mean, Jarhead. Uh, right. Yeah, all those movies. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of propaganda about the Marine Corps too. The Marine Corps is supposed to be like the the toughest toughest branch the green zone uh, would know. have been in there as well at around that point wouldn't it uh with matt damon mm, i actually haven't seen that one yeah that's that's a good one that's about exposing the weapons of mass destruction uh if i remember rightly sorry listeners if i screwed that up but uh there was a lot of um in the uk you know we were getting all the like the bravo Two Zero book came out and the chris ryan book came out about uh you know the um the iraqi uh, the SAS guys in, in the Iraq war and getting dropped behind enemy lines as a, as a young man, you just lap that shit up. Yeah. Like, yeah, wow. you do. And yeah, I, I talked about that too, because there's, I don't think that desire to just 
have adventure and, and fighting for, you know, like being a warrior, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, and we've been taught to, to basically think that that is a bad thing unless you're in the military. The government has, has come in and stepped in and taken this virtuous male character trait, which is, you know, what I mentioned earlier, and perverted that and, and has taken that and, and gotten essentially, you know, brainwashed them through three months of boot camp turn them into a bunch of robots, give them a bunch of vaccines so they, they don't have that emotional conne- connection nearly as much. Um, that's another thing I'm, I'm pretty adamant about, uh, probably the most controversial thing I'm adamant about, but I think that really damages people a lot and they vaccinate you a bunch in, in the military. Um, but I mean, yeah, so the, like I mentioned, it's, it's men uh, should want to be warriors. And I think men are happiest. Like I was very happy in the Marine Corps in many ways, because I had a great sense of camaraderie, um, through like suffering with other like-minded people and having a common goal. And that's really what they've stripped from us is, is that, that feeling of community. Um, so yeah, I guess in some ways I, 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 I did enjoy that toughest part of those first few they call them hell weeks don't they when, when you first sign up yeah i mean so for the marine corps boot camp is three months or actually technically it's 13 weeks so it's you know three months in a week and and then for me my job was uh recon marine which is uh that's a whole other thing and um basically recon marine is uh, similar to the Navy SEALs of the Marine Corps or the Army Rangers of the Marine Corps, it's the Marine Corps is one of their elite forces, and I was—that's what I wanted to do. Um, so, yeah, so I did that. Uh, training sucked. Um, just constant pain all day, like sleep deprivation. Um, hiking a lot with heavy weight, learning stuff constantly, like doing a lot of academic stuff, actually, like getting tested and, and, you know, 83% uh, of my class dropped out or quit in recon training. So, so the Marine part was, I mean, it's not fun, but that wasn't nearly, I mean, that was nothing compared to, to recon training. Um, so yeah, and that's, and that made it very difficult when I got out of the military as well because i had put so much uh of my heart and soul into this job which was so revered and and you know difficult and um but it just became impossible for me to support to continue supporting the military you know once i found out about how these things really function so recon is what is that short for reconnaissance yes so what yeah, would be a the job of- yeah, you do a lot of things as recon marine. I mean, the the the, the primary uh, skill set of a recon marine is to, like it's in the word, conduct reconnaissance. So basically, they will go um, behind enemy lines, separated from their entire battalion in uh, you know six to ten man teams, and uh, go somewhere in the middle of the night and have all this equipment and uh, basically find like a big bush in terrain and 
camouflage yourself at night and hang out in that bush quietly, not trying to get caught for a week. And you're just spying on people reporting information to, <coughs> to headquarters. And uh, recon Marines are, are uh, heavily trained in like direct action, because if you get caught in that situation, you're pretty much screwed. So you better know what you're doing. Um, recon Marines do uh, skydiving. They do uh, scuba diving. Um, a lot of different things. So, uh, so yeah, that's basically what a recon recon marine does. Were you ever deployed? Did you ever have to do that in the field, or did you get out before? I so I'm happy I did not deploy at the time. You really want to deploy, <laughs> like that's what everyone wants. Everybody wants to just go deploy and and do that, of course. But no, I'm. I did not, um, which in hindsight now, like, again, I'm happy about that. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing. <laughs> it's a tough thing. And I can't imagine it's a different world, but we're seeing a lot of people come to the Bitcoin space, uh, from the military, right. I, that, who I've spoken to, I was speaking to one today from the British, uh, from the British military. Um, you know, he got out of that uh thankfully before he deployed uh preston has seen action as we know you know as an apache uh pilot um heavily armed clown as well was in the military is there a theme here michael sailor right you know he was uh, he was training to become a, a military pilot uh what's the theme what's the pattern yeah, what, what why question well first of all i i just want to show something real quick so if you are a veteran and you're listening to this and you're a Bitcoiner, feel free to hit me up because uh, there's a Telegram group and it's just fun to like have that kind of community. So happy to add you. Uh, yeah, there is there is a common trend. Um, I've thought about the same thing. I think, you know what I think it is? <laughs> I've talked with people, especially in the Marine Corps about this that are Bitcoiners now is you're bullshitted so much in the military. <laughs> like you're constantly lied to. I mean, you joke about how much you're lied to, um, and everyone kind of knows it. Uh, so, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of one, one thing. I mean, you're working for the government. You see how inefficient the government is when you're in the military. Um, I mean, so they, they make you do so many things that just make zero sense and are an absolute waste of time <laughs> that do nothing productive. Like if you actually think, if you actually want national defense, Having the government take care of national defense, something as important as national defense, is the worst thing to do. Um, and there are many, uh, there are other much more efficient and safe ways to have national defense than standing armies ran by governments. So I think that is is a big reason why a lot of people are, uh, a lot of veterans are interested in Bitcoin. And then plus the other factor too is, you know, if if you're a veteran. And you hear about Bitcoin and you kind of start looking into it. I think it's also going to be more, be more captivating uh, for you because central banking is intimately related with war, intimately related with war. And uh, it's a very tough thing for people who are in the military and were in the military to come to grips with the fact that this stuff is all about money. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's ultimately, 
at the end of the day, I mean, this, this world has evil people, unfortunately, and evil people tend to like being in positions of power and they're not going to care if they get their citizens killed. If, if it means gaining more power or money or, you know, yeah. So I think all those things are, are very related with the concept. Are you guys going to form like a kind of a, a citadel uh, squad SWAT team? So like those those Bitcoiners can hire other Bitcoiners that have got the right values, the right ethics, but more importantly, the training when it comes to, uh, you know, citadel defense. That would be really cool. I've, uh, yeah, I mean, I've thought about stuff like that before. It, it would be, <laughs> it would be pretty cool. Yeah, the, the citadel concept is, a very fascinating one so what this is why you find yourself in mexico i assume right uh, are you calling yourself a, a political refugee like you know much like your 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 <laughs> your your colleague nick uh who uh you know he nikoravsky who fled canada as quick as he could uh, yeah and, and ended up in um in montenegro he won't mind me saying that we've already had that discussion on a podcast uh yeah. what what was your situation do, do you class yourself in, in the same kind of uh vein or eh, ish like i, I no because i mean nick nick is from canada and he is a legitimate refugee <laughs> like i don't care if the canadian government doesn't recognize that but people leaving canada are refugees um me i mean i'm from the united states and uh I love Mexico, but I also love the U.S. too. And there are a lot of really beautiful areas in the United States with beautiful, freedom-loving people. So I could have just, you know, technically moved to a different state that valued freedom more. But, um, but on the other hand, I'm also from Los Angeles, and I don't know if you've seen all these pictures floating around about Los Angeles and all the trash and all the the lootings. And but the entire place is just it it's becoming hell on earth. It's it's uh. It's, you know, fiat, fiat is having a strong effect on Los Angeles. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't call myself a refugee. I I'm more so just somebody that, you know, I enjoy living in Mexico for many reasons. It's like I mentioned earlier, it's cheap. Um, it almost kind of feels like the wild west <laughs> in, in some places, um, which I get not everybody would want that, you know, but, uh, but it's a very exciting place because I, I meet, people from all over the world who come to this country because it's one of the few countries that they can actually flee to that won't ask you know ask them for their papers or, or anything like that so you just have this really interesting mix of all these different people who all value freedom in this country and um and yeah i mean there there are several projects definitely popping up um in many different parts of the country and kind of the future that, that I picture for Mexico is, is just that, like, we're going to have this network of trusted individuals that, you know, we have our resources and uh, we keep communication with each other. And, and, um, but we're also going to be decentralized a lot throughout the country, which I think is really cool. Um, and I guess a final point to mention on the citadels with Mexico is, is also, it's a lot easier to buy, land here financially speaking um you know i mean at, at least I, there are very cheap areas in the u.s too but for foreigners uh who are unvaccinated they cannot enter the united states so you know mexico is the other option and uh, land is very cheap um so yeah it's uh 
it's going to be very exciting to see, you know, what happens within the next five to 10 years. And I'd also like to say if anybody listening to this is interested about like Mexico or citadels in Mexico, et cetera, um, feel free to send me a message. I'm, my life is Bitcoin reserve and I'm constantly working on that. But, um, so my time is limited, but I will do my best to reply as quick as I can and, and, you know, try and be a resource for people who are, who are interested in Mexico and citadels. Yeah. Well, one question that does spring to mind, which the plebs might be thinking about is it's, I mean, I'm sold. I want to come. I want to come and visit. You don't need to show vaccination papers or, you know, wear a mask or do a PCR test or any of this bullshit. Brilliant. What is it like with regards to like uh, tourist visas, for example, how long can a pleb come and stay there? And if they do decide they want to set up shop, what kind of regulatory hoops would they have to jump through to get uh, like a permanent residency or a work visa or a long-term stay visa? You, you know, what, what, how does that work? Do you, do you have any clue? Yeah. So, uh, that's another thing I've, I've, uh, recently been in more contact with people who do this professionally, who help, uh, expats get tourist visas. Cause people ask me that question a lot and I haven't had like a, a good, you know, solid resource to just send to them. Um, I do now, so I know people that can help with that process. Um, I can tell you it is significantly easier than many other countries. And um, so the way it works pretty much is when you initially enter the country, you get a usually a 180-day tourist visa. Um, and it's just a little piece of paper. And uh, in order to get residency, I mean, there are many, there are a few different ways. There's an income requirement. I think you have to have like 30 grand in your bank account, if I'm not mistaken. I, I asked them if, you know, because I have nothing in my bank account. <laughs> so, and I told them, I was trying to tell them about Bitcoin, like, <laughs> yeah, but they weren't having it. Um, ah, it's Did you have pain. to sell some corn <laughs> just to like have that? Uh, that that would have been painful. Uh, and now I, I mean, I've, I've got my own, my own personal options about, you know, right. I'm, I'm, I'm good personally speaking. I'm, I'm here in Mexico, but, but no, and I certainly wouldn't sell corn in order to make the government happy. That's a fact. So, um, but yeah. And, but for the, the average process for most people is just uh, to actually overstay your tourist visa and, and remain in contact with the immigration, your local immigration center, and based on your situation at the time, they will, you know, give you a temporary residency and then a permanent residency, if that makes sense. All right, cool. And I got a, I got a question, actually, that, that Nick's loaded me up with. Uh, you, you got a, you've already got a smile on your face. Can, okay. you, guess what, can, you, get, can you guess what the question is going to be about? Oh, uh, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... I'm just curious. All right. What's the question? What's the question? Uh, if you want to have some fun, ask him about the topic of being ruled by an honest criminal versus a corrupt government and his experience uh, with the whole cartel thing in Mexico. So, I mean, have you had a run in uh, with the cartel? What's going on? Uh, no. Yeah, that's that's funny. That's funny. Um, well, yeah, because Nick and I, for anybody listening, Nick is uh, the CEO of Bitcoin Reserve, which is the company I work for. And uh, yeah, he's an awesome guy. Um, he flew me and some other team members out to Montenegro and we were just talking about this idea of like, okay, 
what kind of a government, like who do you basically, who do you want to oppress you? <laughs> that's, right. that's the thing. And, and our, you know, what level of oppression, like, can we deal with here? So uh, we have this funny conversation about, you know, I would much rather uh, live with a, you know, an honestly corrupt government. You know, and Mexico is an honestly corrupt government. Everyone knows the Mexican government is corrupt, but every, literally everyone in Mexico just knows that. It's and it's just such a funny, uh, beautiful thing about the culture. You know, um, whereas like in the United States, where I'm from, not any more so now because the corruption is just blatantly obvious. But like you know, before this whole COVID mania, uh, you know, a lot of Americans. <clears throat> We're, we're a little more naive in that sense, I think. But um, so, yeah, the way I look at it is uh, the use. So government is just a monopolization of the use of force. They're just they're they're the biggest uh, bully around. Basically, they have the ability to use force. Um, and in Mexico, you have the government and then you have uh, the, the cartel. Um, and I kind of mentioned this on, on, uh, the recording with Bitcoin magazine, but I, I almost look at it like it's, it's a power dynamic that the U S was originally supposed to have. I'm not saying the cartel is perfect. There are also many different cartels for many different parts of Mexico. It's not like the cartel, you know, it's not one it's big country, many different cartels. Some are absolutely evil. Like totally evil, and I'm not denying that. But others are are actually well liked by the community, and you know if you look at in the Constitution in the Second Amendment, it talks about uh, the right to bear arms, and it also talks about a well armed militia. So just normal, you know, just people uh, essentially keeping the government in check through the use of force. And um, so I, I kind of. I kind of see that in Mexico and, you know, it's not, I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced that that is the main reason why the country is not really locked down compared to the rest of the world. That's an interesting one. If you'd have asked me five years ago, what I thought of, you know, like the, the U S gun laws, uh, which get propagandized around the world, uh, you know, it's not just a debate in the U.S. It's a it's a global debate, and when other countries look outside at the U.S. Um, and cast judgment on it, I just what they just got to ban guns, right? I mean, it's obvious. Like you know, that 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 that's clearly like if if that country just banned all the guns, then none of these shootings would happen, and they'd be just tickety boo. Yeah, you'd be just like Australia. Right, right, exactly. And now yeah. my whole mindset has just been completely turned upside down. And then when you actually look into the actual history of it, of of how it you know came to pass, basically, you know, how how on earth would they have kicked you know the, the Brits out of the U.S. if they had not have armed the general populace and called them to arms? What what was the name of the um? I forget the um. The army, uh, the uh, the red the minute men, the minute men, right? The minute men. Yeah, like, the minute men. Yeah. Right. 
Uh, and he like, all oh, right, well, that actually makes perfect sense. So the only reason they gained their independence is because they basically told everybody, you've got to take up arms and fight for the cause. Yeah. And then it was written into the constitution. And now you, you want to take that away from them again? Like there's no way in the world anybody's going to go for that. Like no way. Uh, well, that's the thing. There is, especially with my generation, um, and especially where places like where I'm from in Los Angeles, everybody supports gun control. Um, yeah, I, I that's it's a tough thing. It's um, because they forget or don't study history. Uh, they don't. I just I don't. It's such a frustrating thing because, in my opinion, it's so obvious. Like there, first of all, there's no such thing as gun control. There's no such thing as gun control. People who say they want gun control. How do how are those laws going to be enforced through men with guns? <laughs> so basically, they're saying they want the government to be the only people with guns, and that's a really bad idea. If you look at the last century, there's a book uh, called uh, I believe it's called Death by Government, and that talks about democide, which democide is uh the uh, a word which means governments killing their own people and in the last century according to this book over 260 million people have been killed by their own governments yeah so to only let that organization be the one that has the ability to have guns is a horrible idea and um yeah in the u.s there's there's tons of propaganda on it um especially living in california like when i was in the military i remember um, they, they pass these laws. It's pretty much one law at a time, one small little law at a time that they're trying to do in the United States. Like, okay, your magazine on your gun can only be 10 rounds and the magazine release button on your gun has to be, you know, it can't be easily clicked. All these small little changes they're trying to regulate with, with these kinds of guns that people can have. And their goal is to just regulate it out of existence over time um versus just an outright ban if that makes sense yeah it's such a it's such a huge leap for somebody that grew up in britain you know the, the police weren't even armed when i was a kid right this <laughs> is something you, you gotta you gotta re, you realize when when you look at your cousins across the pond and you think oh, the hell why aren't they allowed to have their guns it's not that we weren't allowed to it's just like it was just never a thing you know I remember walking into town and you'd be excited to see a police car. You'd be excited to see a, a policeman, especially with, you know, the, the bobby hat. And you would see that uniform and it'd be something to be revered. And you'd go up and you'd speak to them. You, you, you know, I remember this distinctly. Now it's a complete and utter total opposite. And Interesting the you know the what well, policing's been infiltrated hasn't it uh, by by the state basically uh you know the, the the police force isn't there to protect the people it's to protect the state from the people uh and it's guns have crept into the the uk uh police force uh that that was pretty weird when you first saw that happen hmm. really weird seeing you know especially in britain you know it, it just wasn't a thing and then all of a sudden yeah, there's there's certain police walking around, uh, like airports, for example, 
you know, heavily armed with like proper guns, like, you know, hmm. uh, and you're like, whoa, there's, it's just very, it's a really aggressive thing to see as, as a British person, uh, somebody walking around with, uh, with a sidearm, you know, when we'd visit the U S or, or other countries where the police were armed, you'd be like, Ooh, that's weird. Hmm. Yeah. Where, it's, it's just not your culture. It's just so normalized to just, nobody has guns and, and to see somebody else have a gun it was a very foreign concept Mm -hmm. yeah but now my thinking is just getting turned upside down which is what bitcoin does to you right it just holds a mirror up to every belief or assumption you've ever had and makes you challenge it and it's why does it do that (laughs) well i mean the thing with guns too is i think people forget how easy it is to kill each other Like there are so many ways you can kill. I mean, I, I being, having been in the military, like you, your mind goes in interesting places. Right. So I've, I've had this thought, like, it's so easy to kill someone. You can just drive your car and kill people. You can take a knife and kill people. I mean, you can so many different ways and guns don't just like miraculously, not miraculously. They don't just magically like make people want to kill each other. Most people most people have absolutely no desire to, I mean, unless you're a psychopath, which that's a super small percentage of the population. Um, yeah. So I mean, it's the it, psychopath. It's, yeah, it is. And, and that's the thing is, okay, yeah, the psychopaths are going to exist. And I would prefer to live in a society full of armed people. So that way, if and when some horrible thing happens with a psychopath, I'm going to be safe. I don't have to call a, a police officer when... You know, when seconds count, they're only minutes away, as as I like to say. Yeah, man, it's a weird, it's a weird one. So, how did how did Bitcoin find you then? Was it whilst you were during the military? Yes, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I was in the Marine Corps at the time, and uh, there's a lot of you know, there's the the saying "hurry up and wait" in the Marine Corps or in the military in general. Yeah. Like you'd spend a lot of time just doing nothing because <laughs> it's ran by the government um <laughs> so yeah i mean i used to read a lot and my my dad actually gave me uh sent me a gift uh you know this book the creature from jekyll island like i mentioned earlier and uh i read that and it it just completely blew my mind <laughs> um um yeah completely blew my mind i uh, had no idea the federal reserve you had this much power. I mean, that is really who is running the show is the federal reserve. Yeah. Politicians. Sure. They can make laws and stuff like that, but whoever makes the money is, is going to be the ultimate controller of this world. Um, so there's that. And then the other book I read uh, was called war is a racket. And that was written by a, uh, uh, former major general of the Marine Corps, actually, whose name is Smedley Butler. And it's the funniest thing is you're taught about this general in Marine Corps boot camp. You're taught about Smedley Butler. Uh, you're told, you know, he was this honorable guy who, who fought with valor and got two medals of honor and, um, you know, all this stuff. And they, they leave out the part when he got out of the Marine Corps and wrote an anti-war book, you know, like, yeah. So, so those two things like completely got me to change my mind um, on, you know, the efficiency of the military and the morality of the system that the military is based on. Um, so, yeah. And at that point, I mean, it's, it's, 
to this day, like I, and I think many men, especially Bitcoiners would absolutely die for people that we love. Like that's, I think that's an, an inherent male quality, or at least it should be. Um, and that hasn't changed. Uh, but I don't want to die for the U S government. And, and, uh, I don't think these, these wars in the middle East are, are actually beneficial for anyone. So at that point, once I pretty much woke up to, um, you know, the corruption of the military, the military industrial complex, central banking, all that stuff. I just totally withdrew my support for um, the military at the time, which which was very difficult, of course, <laughs> for many different reasons. But um, I just wasn't proud of what I was doing anymore. What were you thinking when you saw the, the recent debacle of pulling out of Afghanistan? It just must have been so difficult to for you not to just call bullshit at the whole thing yeah i mean i i don't i don't even know how much of that i believe because i mean they'll they can say yeah we're pulling out of afghanistan but they can leave quote military advisors there um you know they the government the u.s government's so corrupt (laughs) like they can have they can have they can technically pull the military out but still have military contractors in a country which they pulled the official military out of and like yeah military contractors i mean a lot of guys who were recon marines who retired become military contractors because literally like okay you want to want to be a military contractor okay you can grow a beard you can wear civilian clothing you get paid one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in five months when you're deployed some somewhere yeah you all this stuff and you're not even part of the military and you're just doing whatever the U S government tells you to do shooting, shooting, whoever you, you're, you're, you know, it's, it's really a statute that they just do this. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know at this point, I, I just don't believe anything they, they say. Why do you think your dad sent you that book? Well, my dad is, is, he's a smart guy. I mean, he's, he's a businessman. Uh, and I, I think any like serious entrepreneur, <laughs> you know, the government's going to make their life extremely difficult and, and you're going to be forced to become a libertarian pretty much. So, um, yeah, I mean, he didn't like the fact that I was in the military, which uh, I, I definitely appreciate that about him. <laughs> so I think that was his way of, of trying to trying to get me to like see the light, you know, which worked. Yeah. That's I think amazing. that's why that, yeah. that's kind of like the, the, the backhanded orange pill, you know, because I'm sure he wasn't coming from a Bitcoin standpoint. He didn't realize what that was going to lead to, but you know, wow. Like what a gift. Yeah, no, that's, and that's the awesome thing now. Like it's what a gift. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and now I've totally like orange pilled my dad, which is, uh, uh, you know, it's really cool to, to have your family orange pilled as well. And, and I think that, I mean, if, if you own Bitcoin and you talk with somebody else that owns Bitcoin, whether it be a friend or a family member, you're both going through common experiences with each other. You know, I mean, there, there is really something to be said about working hard for your money. And, you know, you could put it in real estate or stocks or gold or any other investment, but you put it in this Bitcoin thing. And, and this Bitcoin thing drops like 50%. <laughs> Like 
that that is going to cause some sort of emotional reaction with you and you are going to bond with other human beings who are also experiencing that emotional reaction so so i actually see like some things in common with you maybe that's another parallel like in the military you become close with people because you suffer together and in bitcoin in some ways you also kind of suffer together and so um yeah, kind of, huh comrades in arms yeah right 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 the, yeah there's you know there's hold the line or hodl the line and all of these uh, other kind of uh, memes in, in bitcoin it, it definitely has that feel that you know it's a fight you know we, we we understand we're in a fight and it is a fight for truth uh amongst this barrage of lies that we've just lived through our whole lives like you know our whole life since since we were born you know if you're born post 1971 everything has been built on a lie everything yeah. everything <laughs> literally mad. everything yeah it is it is it is totally mad i mean it's yeah the the process of a child i mean it's uh yeah post 1971 like here's your life you're born a week later you get a shot for hepatitis b which is an std which like you, you can't go to babies pretty much unless you're doing weird shit with your baby and then you know when you're four you get separated from your parents and shipped to this school that you know and you're, it's this horrible emotional experience where you get separated from your family and you know a bunch of emotional issues come up from that i mean um and you're just in this place and you're getting propagandized all day the government is supposed to teach you about how to interact in the world and, and be a good citizen and um yeah, I mean, you got the the TV uh, culture, you know, culture, culture, uh, religion, you know, uh, all these things. It's it's uh, yeah, it's tough. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin too is it takes it takes in a way it takes greed, you know, like the people just want to make money, which I don't think that's like a bad thing, but it, it could, you could call it greed maybe. And turns that into a bunch of people who are are now shown the truth and have now been exposed to how this system really functions. So, so it's a really cool thing. It takes takes greed and then turns people into you know freedom lovers, pretty much. And that's what I love about Bitcoin so much is uh, it has that kind of effect on people. Let's talk about Bitcoin Reserve. How did you find your way into uh, into working with the, with the guys? Uh, what, yeah. what was that process? Oh, that's a funny story. So, um, I was so I told you I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and um, I was working for a big like international corporation that that uh was basically what i was doing is selling commercial internet service and like big skyscrapers and leasing data center space so you know tech uh job but not that fun right. <laughs> like you know not very exciting lots of phone calls meetings that kind of day-to-day -day. yeah yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I, and I definitely appreciate the experience that I got from that and, and uh, you know, jobs are good to have. Like if, if you can, I think it's, 
it's, it's a good thing alone to just have a job that you can at least be proud of. Maybe you're not like enthusiastic about it, but like I get, you know, especially as a young man in life, you're probably going to work jobs that you don't like, but at least do something that you can be proud of. Don't do something that you morally disagree with, you know? Um, so yeah. And then, uh, was doing that living in Los Angeles. And then March 2020, uh, the whole COVID thing happens. And, you know, because of my interest in Austrian economics and um, this, this sort of, you know, Bitcoin, this sort of mentality, I, I and many others had been expecting some sort of a crash or some sort of an event to happen. And then COVID happened. And I, I, I really feel like I, I just saw what was going on. <laughs> You know, like, I mean, they had done other things like the swine flu and Ebola and all their other, you know, scary diseases, but uh, they weren't locking people in their own homes because of the swine flu. You know, I mean, I, I could tell this is, this is really something happening here. And um, I did not want to be lost in Los Angeles during something like that. And I had no idea how bad it was going to get. I mean, the stock, the U.S. stock market crashed 30% in within like a span of two weeks it knocked out the last three years of gains in, in I think two or three weeks. Uh, and I don't know. I just, so uh, I had been to Mexico one time before that and really enjoyed it. I went to a conference a few months before COVID happened called Anarchapulco, which is basically like this big libertarian event in Mexico. Yeah. Holy heard of it. shit. Jeff Berwick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, still yeah. around. He's still around. Yeah. He's man. That's great. Yeah. He, I was watching his videos back in 2014, 15, when he was, he would be sitting there with the, what would he have? Like a whiskey and a cigar. A and he'd just be scre <laughs> yeah. screaming into the microphone. I'm like, Jesus, this guy's like, he's next level. But then he would, yeah. he, he did have some pretty calm conversations and interviews. And I'm like, Hmm. And what was, uh, yeah, Dollar, Vig Dollar Vig Vigilante. That's right. That was the name of his uh, show and his Twitter. Is he still active? I have not watched that guy in a long time. Yeah, he, he's still he got, active. He got pretty shit coiny at one stage. Uh, yeah, I I was, yeah, I was just going to say that. Like his video, I still watch his videos today because they're like, they're first of all, they're actually pretty informative with the COVID stuff and they're funny. But yeah, his he's shit coins. I mean, he showed like a blatant stamp. I'm going to call Jeff Berwick out right now. Like he's, he's, he showed a stamp called Pirate Chain. It's an absolute stamp. It's pumped up. But um, anyways, nonetheless, he does have good, I mean, I'll give him that. He's got great content. He's funny. Um, he kicked alcohol and, and smoking as well though, right? Am yeah, I like right? six times. Well, yeah. Yeah. Six times. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not gonna still shit coining. Right. You know, see if he was Bitcoin only, he would have managed to make that leap, right? If he really wanted to do it. Yeah, maybe that sounds like something a Bitcoiner would do. Yeah. Kick alcohol. <laughs> Anyways, long story short, so I, I I had already been to Mexico at that point, and I'm sitting in Los Angeles in my like small bedroom that I'm paying seven hundred dollars a month for. <laughs> you know, working this corporate job, just not that thrilled in life. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm going to move to Mexico. So I throw everything in my car. I drive, uh, like, you know, 1500 miles, uh, down in central Mexico. And, um, I had, um, you know, some, some friends who were involved with Intercapulco and organizing the conference and all that. Um, I'm like, 
you know, I've got a lot of friends in, in the libertarian, like anarcho-capitalist community here in Mexico. And if you know Katie the Russian, I'd imagine you do, yeah. Uh, Katie and I have a lot of mutual friends and we met and, you know, Katie's like, she's a Bitcoiner, Bitcoin maxi. And, you know, so we were talking about all that. And I basically told her like, you know, I'm here in Mexico. I I can work remotely with, with this corporate job that I had, which is great. I mean, that's a huge blessing. Um, but basically said, you know, I just, I want to work in Bitcoin. I want to do a job that I'm really passionate about all this stuff. And, um, so we we're just talking about that, and and long story short, um, Katie, you know, put put a word out for me, and got a a message from uh, Nick and Yuri uh, from Bitcoin Reserve, and so anyways, we I I met Nick and Yuri, and it was like a month long interview process, and I was shitting bricks the whole time, <laughs> and uh, and it was super exciting, and and. Um, it, it's just been history from there. Um, work full time with Bitcoin Reserve, uh, work remotely, and uh, just trying to help people in Europe and around the world buy Bitcoin in the easiest way. And I'm I'm so happy doing it. Like I I I get to talk with awesome people like you all day, just Bitcoiners all the time, and um, try and try and spread this thing as much as possible. So yeah, it's re- it's really funny how life works. <laughs> you know, if you just kind of step out of your, out of your comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely. And I was, uh, I was introduced to Nick via, um, from Nish who, who's been helping you guys on the, uh, like the marketing side, I guess, uh, because, you know, he, he, he got hold of me and he's like, you got to meet this guy, Nick, there's this new company opening up, uh, you know, that they're in Europe, they call Bitcoin reserve, they're Bitcoin only. I'm like, yeah, fire, fire it, fire this up. Let's go. And uh, and had a chat with Nick and then brought him on the show, and now you guys support the show, which is uh, you know amazing. Uh, it's it's so great, and I've used the service. Uh, it's um, a great service, and definitely something that's very much needed uh, in Europe. I mean, we're getting more and more services all of the time, but we've lagged so far behind what's going on in the US. Yeah, that uh, you know, there's such a need here. And there's such a, because Europe is so culturally different as well, that there's so many different nuances. I know we love that word in the, in the, in the Bitcoin space, uh, between the different cultures. Uh, so to, to have, you know, like this, this push here, that's, that's bringing all of these Bitcoiners together, you know, there's telegram groups all over the place. You know, there's a French telegram group, there's an EU telegram group, there's a Bitcoin UK maximalist telegram group all of these guys that they're building communities uh, and it's still very, very new, but it's just going to go in, uh, in the right direction, of course. So wh- why don't you tell the listeners then uh, a little bit about, you know, the ethos of Bitcoin reserve. What is the, what are you guys trying to do? Uh, there's two products you have, right? You have flash or you have concierge. So let's lay it yeah. out there for any Euro plebs that are listening, but not even, right. It could be anyone can use it, right. Or is it just specifically Europe? Yeah, so for so for our retail product, Flash, which is if you want to buy between 10 euros and 50,000 euros, that is specifically for people who are in the EEA, so the European Economic Area. And that's basically like all EU countries plus three other countries um, in Europe. 
So yeah, that's Flash and uh, Concierge is for, that's global. So we can help pretty much have a near global reach, help high net worth individuals or family offices or companies if they want to put you know, part of their cash reserves in Bitcoin, we can help them do large uh, you know, purchases like that. And yeah, or I mean, our countries, our... if we look at Erdogan meets in Bukele right now, <laughs> exactly. Right. If, yeah. If, if you're, if you're listening, Mr. President, uh, you know, I, I have a referral code to a Bitcoin <laughs> reserve, but we get an extra 10 euros, like with your first purchase. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, with a referral code, you, if a country was buying it, you probably wouldn't have to work another day in your life. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> but um yeah, basically, I mean, our, our our mission is just to spread Bitcoin adoption in Europe as much as possible. And I think, you know, the U.S. is um, is really making some headway with Bitcoin adoption uh, compared to Europe. I think a big factor in that is because, yes, there are different subcultures in the United States, but at least everybody speaks the same language. I mean, in Europe, like you can drive not even that big of a distance away and be an entirely different culture with an entirely different language. So there's that. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, we, we, we don't offer altcoins of course, like, or shit coins more accurately labeled. Um, and we just want to have the easiest possible experience for people, uh, trying to buy Bitcoin, like anybody buying Bitcoin. Um, and we've got other, other ideas. We've got really smart developers, really good, Good guys on the team that are are thinking forward, you know, five years from now, ten years from now. Um, but uh, yeah, for now, right now, our our products are buying and selling Bitcoin. You want to talk uh, somebody through like a, a sign up process? So if anybody's listening um, and they want to perhaps like check out the Flash service, uh, what do they do? Where do they go? How how does it work? Yeah, so you would go on BitcoinReserve.com. And then uh, on there, you're going to see two tabs on the top left. One is called Flash. One is called Concierge. And like I mentioned earlier, if you want to buy anywhere from like, you know, if you just want to stack some sats ten, between 10 euros and 50,000 euros, you would click on Flash. And I, I have heard this from other people that it's the quickest onboarding process they've had with a Bitcoin company. I mean, it's the average time it takes for for customers between two and four minutes to have a all you know fully onboarded account um and then from there you would just wire money to to us uh to your account with us and then you would buy the bitcoin and uh we send the coins directly to your wallet we are firm advocates of people holding their own wealth and taking that responsibility in their own hands and, and there are many reasons for that um, but, uh, yeah, so we, we don't offer shit coins. We're not going to hold, hold the Bitcoin for anybody. We, we, like our ideologically speaking for everybody I work with, like we are freedom lovers, <laughs> like we we're in this thing because we want the world to be more free. So as a result, you know, we're going to conduct our, our company in the same way. Yeah. So if a plebs then, listening, if a plebs listening and they, they don't have a hardware wallet, for example, would you help? like talk them through how to set that up uh, if they signed up with with Flash uh, and you guys will say, well, yeah, what's your Bitcoin address? And maybe they're like, huh? Perhaps there are some people that still haven't got to that that level. They're, they're just happy to buy on like a Revolut 
or equivalent in the UK or an exchange and they just keep it on the exchange. As much as I beg people to get a hardware wallet and use a hardware wallet, is there education that, that you guys can supply as well? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, we are working on concrete educational materials step-by-step for somebody in that situation. Um, for concierge, which is the service for, you know, that's our OTC service, large purchases. We do help clients with that entire process if they need the help. Um, I mean, that, in, that has one-on-one guidance, 24-7 service. Um, they can ask any question they have. Uh, but that's for concierge. That's for larger clients. For Flash, uh, now currently they, they're going to have to, you know, go on Doodle or, or figure out like how they can just download their own Bitcoin wallet and, and hold it themselves. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, obviously it's more convenient to just have somebody else hold your coins, but uh, I guess with, with great power comes great responsibility, you could say. Step up listeners. If you haven't got that freaking hardware wallet, you know, which one to buy. It's another show sponsor. I'm not going to shill it right now, but do your own research uh and, and get hold of one for for sure and the the concierge service as well you you set people up with like a, a private telegram channel right um but if you if you've got like older people coming in that perhaps don't have telegram or whatever else how are you conducting uh like the um the, the order basically yeah how how's that how's that going through you we just- can literally do it yeah we can literally do it over the phone and mm-hmm. and that's like that's a really cool thing i think is uh, if you, you know, if you want the world to be on a Bitcoin standard, there are a lot of wealthy people who are older and they, there's no way they're going to do all this stuff on their own. And, um, you know, it, it, a lot of people would want to have somebody to just a human being to call and talk to, and it, it makes them feel safer about the process. So, um, yeah, that's definitely something we offer, uh, as well. Which I a lot think of plebs is, trying, is a trying to a lot of plebs are trying to pill their their, their moms, their dads, their their nans, their granddads, whatever you know, whether you're a millennial or Gen X, and it can be tough. But if you've got this option to say, listen, there's this firm here, we can call them up. I can sit on the line with you as well, and you can just listen to what they're going to say. And anything you don't understand, I can help you. I can help you buy the hardware wallet. I can show you how to set it up and what whatever. But to have that third party under you know the, the the banner of a corporation or a uh, you know um, a brand a, a brand exactly that they're comfortable with because that's their that's their mindset right uh, and you're getting a, a white glove service at the same time from these people and there's a human being rather than just yeah just download download the app bro like uh, you know like 75 year old guys not going to do that <laughs> yeah no not at all not at all. And, and uh, yeah, and they need Bitcoin just as much as, as everybody else does. So yeah, I, I, I agree. And that's really, I, that's, I, I love so many aspects of my job, but that's one of them that I, I definitely really love is, is I get to talk with like, you know, 50, 60, 70 year olds about Bitcoin. 
And it, it, it just has an, it just an entirely different perspective than somebody my age, you know, cause I've grown up with technology in my hands my whole life, but somebody of that age, they've, you know, worked hard, they've had a retirement account, they've had, you know, this Bitcoin thing is just completely foreign to them. So, um, yeah. So yeah, I really like that, uh, that kind of aspect. You guys have an app or not? for the flash service or is it uh, all web-based at the moment it's all web-based at the moment but yeah plans? we've got plan i mean we've got a lot of plans right it's just how what's our priority <laughs> so so we've got we've got a new product release uh coming up and uh that should be out i would say within the next month and that'll be pretty interesting and then we've got you know more kind of layer two solutions coming after that so yeah we're we're definitely definitely strategizing accordingly and you got to show your spaces oh yeah that's true yeah we're doing a weekly spaces as well we we just started within the last month and a half um basically just talking about a bunch of bitcoin related things like we had you on talked about homeschooling last time which was an awesome conversation and uh we just had marit's um, he was the founder of Spectre Wallet. He came on uh, yesterday and we were talking about privacy, how to use uh, Liquid, the Liquid network for increased privacy, what are the current setbacks that, that Bitcoin has with privacy, all that stuff. So um, yeah, if anybody wants to, to join on Wednesdays every week, we have a, a spaces as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun being involved in the freedom movement and, and the Bitcoin movement. Um, really loving it. So I'm, I'm also just uh, to kind of touch on that too. I'm also getting more involved with free private cities, which is like another like awesome freedom, like activity that, that I'm really passionate about in life too. Don't tell me, has Peter swung by to say hi whilst he's down in Mexico? Uh, so no, we haven't met up in Mexico, but we met in uh, El Salvador actually like a couple months ago. And yeah, Peter is an awesome guy. Um, I, I think that whole idea of, cause the way I see it is, okay, if you want freedom, you can either have, uh, a bloody revolution or go live out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and just claim some land. But the free private cities option is, is interesting because, you know, that that's like a third alternative for having freedom, which is, you know, you go to, um, you go to a government, you know, maybe a government that's like not the U.S. government, like a smaller government, and you say to this government, hey, um, we want to incentivize business in, in your territory. And um, we want to have an area where basically it, it's just maximized freedom. It, it just pretty much no, very low taxes. Um and, uh, you know, all the services that, that normally get provided by a city are, are going to be provided by us. And it's going to be a for-profit uh, organization. And it's going to be a contractual agreement. So if you want to go live in a free private city, uh, you actually sign a contract with a free private city. And this is a real contract, not, not one of those fake social contracts <laughs> that we're told that we have, you know. Um, and, and the government benefits from, from letting the free private city, you know, do their thing because they get a percentage on the free private city's revenue. So it's kind of a win-win situation, giving financial incentives to, to freedom. So, 
yeah, now an ambassador with free private cities uh, would love to see something like that happen in Mexico. And they've already got, um, you know, the Prospera project happening in Honduras, which is super exciting. So, yes, I've had both Peter and uh, Eric on from um, Prospera uh, in Honduras. Um, and Peter's coming back on tomorrow night to give me a, a big old rundown of, uh, of what's going on. Peter and I met uh, by doing the Safer Dan courses. Uh, we've become, uh, you know, way back then, my podcast was very, very new. Peter was unemployed. He'd, he'd fled China. And now he's like uh, managing director of free private cities, traveling around the world, meeting the Bitcoiners. He's the perfect guy for the job. And I, I'm very bullish on free private cities. Yeah, I, 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 I am too. And that's just, there's so much, like the world is going to, it's, it's in a bad situation in many ways, yeah. But at the same time, I mean, there's so much happening right now, uh, wherever you look with, with freedom. I mean, it's the Bitcoin movement is really growing and, and we're doing a lot of good things. I mean, you've got free private cities, uh, I, it's just, it's a very exciting time to be alive, you know, with all this stuff happening. There's a lot of shit going on in uh, Texas, in Florida, in Wyoming. There's hope in the US. Uh, there's there's a glimmer of hope in the UK. Uh, Isle of Man seems to be this, this Bitcoiners little paradise over there at the moment. You've got uh, Coin Corner guys, fast Bitcoins are there. Plebs are being attracted there. I had a long phone call this afternoon with one who's who's going over. So it's happening. It's happening. Yeah. And it's it's just a matter of time. And I'd love to see uh, a, a European country somewhere like Montenegro where, where Nick's based himself. Or Andorra would be perfect. I mean, like, goodness me, Andorra up in the mountains, that that you know, that their own little citadel up there already. Uh, but they're they're shackled by the euro. You know, just, yeah. just kick that thing into touch. Go to Bitcoin. Uh, it can be done overnight. But Bitcoiners are being attracted to to Andorra as well. Andorra. I, I haven't looked much into it, but I know. Yeah, I mean, the non-EU member countries, that's definitely where it's going to happen. And that's why, I mean, Nick already told you about Montenegro, but that mm-hmm. country is, whew, if I were to live in any, anywhere in Europe, I would, I would live in montenegro because that that place is is great and i i I remember seeing signs like you know bitcoin accepted here and people definitely definitely know about bitcoin in that country um but yeah i mean the 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 bitcoin movement it's like a decentralized country like i i have so much i could meet a bitcoiner at a conference somewhere on earth and just have so much in common with that person. And I, I think this idea of like nation states and borders and things like that, yes, as it's getting more difficult in some ways to travel, although you can find your way around it, of, of course, like this is the new, this is the new country is Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, is the new culture that, that I think is, is forming. And it's a decentralized country. It's a decentralized culture. It's not, it's not in one certain area. Um, and I think that's a very powerful thing. And I think that's very similar with Christianity. There's a, there's another rabbit hole. You, you're yeah. going to have to talk, you're going to have to talk to John Vallis about that one. <laughs> I would love to, cause I've been, I've been going down that rabbit hole too. I mean, let me, let me tell you <laughs> something to it. 
Man, it's uh, yeah, he's definitely did. Have you listened to the episode I did with him after he dropped his episode about uh, have you read that? Mm-mm. No, he dropped he dropped uh, an article uh, about uh, Bitcoin and religion, and he's he's done a lot of deep thinking into it. So definitely give that one a read and and hook up with John if if you want to do that one some justice. So I'm I've not I've not been pulled into that side rabbit hole yet. So he's definitely your man. Yeah, I, I would love to check that out. Actually, yeah, definitely appreciate that. Yeah, there are a lot of interesting. Um, similarities with it for sure i mean it's it's uh i, th- I think a, a big one is you know people like we'll talk about christianity just i'm christian like you know people are willing to die for their faith in jesus and <clears throat> when people care about something so much that they're they're willing to just sacrifice their life for it you know chances are that that thing that they care about is going to succeed in this world you know, if you have uh, groups of people that are just not going to compromise on their beliefs and, and yeah, so that's, that's, I, I see a lot of similarities with that in the Bitcoin community. The, I will die on this hill meme. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a meme, but I, I think it's a little more than a meme, you know? Jack seems to freaking mean it when he says it, Jack Mallers. Yeah. I mean... I think a lot of us do. It's, I don't, obviously it's never going to get to that point, but um, it's just that important. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's such a, it's a millennia old problem with human beings, this problem of inflation. And uh, it's such a big issue. I mean, it can just completely destroy your entire life within a matter of months. And uh, to have something that, that finally solves this issue is worth fighting for i mean how could that not be how can you not want that how is that not worth fighting for um yeah so i i and i'll i'll tell you i have a lot more hope because of bitcoin um i mean i I can't imagine where i'd be without bitcoin in my life i can't imagine having my money in a bank right now (laughs) so absolutely not especially a mexican one yeah especially mexican one (laughs) Or yeah. even worse, even worse, a Western bank in a Mexican uh, city. That's like, like you know, they're the worst, like HSBC or someone like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I've also read a uh, headline saying, you know, I, I personally can't speak to the, the, the legitimacy of this, but I've, I've read headlines saying, you know, bank accounts getting canceled because of vaccination status. Uh, places like Australia, and I don't know if there's more to the story for that, but I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. And yeah, banks are essentially just extensions of the government. <laughs> so like, that's a, what a scary place to just park all of your wealth and your, you know, your hard work, hard earned money at a bank. All right, man. Well, last question. If you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? Oh, man. That's a good question. If I could orange pill anybody, hmm, shoot. I think I would orange. Hmm, man, that's a that's a really tough one. <laughs> I think I would do it to the president of, of Mexico. I would I would hand the orange pill to the president of Mexico because 
I so I I have a theory that Mexico is going to be one of the last Latin American countries to adopt Bitcoin, but when it does, it's it's just going to be such a huge deal because this country produces so much stuff and has so many resources. But uh, yeah, I, I would I would probably orange pill him. Um, yeah, that would be my answer. I mean, all of Latin America, it's it's going to start off with the smaller countries. You already see the president of El Salvador you know, talking with other leaders and stuff like that. So, yeah. 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 Well, there's no wrong answer. That's the beauty of, uh, of that question. You know, it could be absolutely anyone. Could I, I mean, what, what, what would your be your answer be to that question? Yeah. I just really want my dad to get on board at this stage. (laughs) You know, I would love to, uh, you, you said earlier, you'd managed to orange pull your dad and he was hardcore into it. Um, yeah. Uh, that would be that would be a great place to start. Um, Could I ask? I mean, I I hope we're yeah. not getting too close on time, but like, what what is keeping your dad from getting in Bitcoin? Fear, legacy, legacy system. He was a uh, a career. Uh, his whole career was in foreign exchange. You know, I followed his path. Uh, that's where my career ended up taking me as well. Uh, he he worked for. Swiss bank for 35, 40 years, something like that. Hmm. So he's, he's institutionalized, you know, it's, um, he, he, he understands what he needs to understand about money. Uh, and he's all right, Jack, you know, they've got the nice house, does his thing, retired, grows his vegetables, doesn't lead to listen to his crazy 45 year old son that's been unemployed for the last eight years and <laughs> traveled the world. Well, with I, don't, his like, you know. I don't know about unemployed, but well, retired. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. It was two different things. Yeah. I, I just wonder where that, that fear is coming from. Like, is he afraid it's going to go to zero? Is he afraid that mm-hmm. it, it, is it scary because there's no government backing? It's always just an interesting question to ask people. You know, all the usual, all the usual ones. Uh, and, um, don't know, I don't know how, don't know how we get him there. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, uh, my brothers are, are joining forces. So that, that's okay. That's, that's, that's good. Uh, and hopefully just takes a little extra time, I guess, with, uh, with the older generation, uh, fingers crossed. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there at some point. Uh, it's just a matter of when. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, we will. It's uh, yeah, I understand. It's a tough thing for, you know, people of older generations to like really wrap their heads around it. And uh, you know, you look at the millennial generation and the majority of millennials, of course, prefer Bitcoin over gold. So I don't know, maybe I have a friend, uh, he says number go up cures all. So maybe he'll just see the number <laughs> keep going up and he'll say, you know what? All right. Bitcoin's stupid. Maybe it's going to zero. I think it's absolutely crazy, but okay, I'll just put like one percent of my wealth into Bitcoin, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. I maybe that'll do the trick. Just, just well, the, purely the investment. I'm sure we'll be on a call one day, and uh, Bitcoin Reserve can can help hold his hand. Like that scenario that we were talking about earlier, you know, that the reason I know that this would be a great service is because this is the kind of thing that you know, this is the the itch I need to scratch, you know, and so. Hopefully, hopefully, but uh, you know, us Bitcoiners, we, we, 
you know, I probably made the the ridiculous mistake of shilling too hard too early. Mm. But we refine ourselves over time. So, we, we, you know, we're like a fine wine. It's tough to not come across as like overly exuberant with this stuff because it's just so exciting to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. When you see it, you can't unsee it and you want to shout from the hilltops. Uh, so I'm sure there's some plebs listening to this that are going to take a few of these uh, little insights away with them. Like, yes, you know, a few more dots will, you know, suddenly align in their mind and a few epiphanies will drop through their sleep and they'll wake up that next morning and jump out of bed like, oh, my fucking God. Like, <laughs> did you know Bitcoin is going to fix this? Like, I still do that. My wife like, oh, I still like with this many years into this. <laughs> How is it going to fix that? Well, well, look, if it does that and then it does that and then it does that and it's going to fix that. And I'm, voila, we have yeah. got a whole new societal like, it, but it does. It, it literally fixes everything. Fix the money, fix the world. Exactly. It does. I mean, money, money is uh, as common among human beings as food or water is. So absolutely. I mean, it touches everything in life. So if the money is corrupted, the world's going to be corrupted. If you fix the money, yeah, you fix the world. I, I totally agree. So yeah. Well, I wish you luck with your dad. There's always hope. So yeah. Well, I, I wish you luck with the uh, the president, you know, you're in the right place. So <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> I'll hop on it. And give him I'll my referral code, right? Okay. <laughs> I'll give him Daniel Prince's referral code. I'll do that. <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. Where can people find you, mate, before we sign this off? Yeah. So Twitter is probably the best place if you want to send me a message or get in contact. Um, my handle is Andrew underscore J underscore Howard. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and uh, I have a, podcast called the exit plan and um just talked about interesting topics to me freedom truth bitcoin all this stuff so uh yeah so you can get in contact with me and then if you want to buy if you're uh you know european and you want to buy bitcoin uh i would go to bitcoinreserve.com and we can help you out there too so excellent well appreciate it andrew appreciate the time all your work at bitcoin reserve all the time that you give up hosting the the, uh, the Twitter spaces and everything else. Uh, it's been really great to get to know you. Thank you for having me on the Twitter spaces and thanks for providing a great service and, uh, and all the best, man. Yeah, I, I loved having the conversation. Really appreciate you having me on. So thanks so much, Daniel. All right, brother. Take care. Peace. Hey, plebs. Hope you enjoyed that one with Andrew. A big thank you again, mate, for coming on and sharing everything that's... Uh, we got to talk about there some pretty amazing stuff. Thank you for um, you know being honest about your military experience and what a gift from your old man, eh? Well done. That is uh, that's what we like to see. Families looking out for each other. If you guys want to reach out to Andrew, make sure you check him out on Twitter. And if you are a veteran, get a hold of him. Um, and go build some police forces for these citadels or the free private cities guys that are going to be looking for this kind of service. There's something for everyone in the world of Bitcoin. Anyway, I'd like to thank Bitcoin Reserve because they are one of the show sponsors. Definitely go check them out. Huge firm to have in the Euroland where we've been a little bit lagging behind what's going on in the States and other parts of the world, but we're catching up. And this is a great addition for us plebs to look into as a, another way to start stacking sets. You can also stack with Relay here and Coin Corner. So we are getting a little bit spoiled for choice. Across the pond, you know where to go, swanbitcoin.com. 
forward slash bitten. And remember, guys, all these links are in the show notes that you can go and find extra discounts or whatever promotions they are running at the time. And don't forget, get your tickets. Get your tickets to the conference. If you're able to get there, make sure you get there. You can use code bitten at checkout for a 10% discount from general admission all up to Whale Pass. But please, last thing I'm going to say, take control of your coins. If you've gone to the trouble of opening an account or downloading an app and getting rid of some fiat for some Satoshis, you've got to really step up your game. If you do not have a hardware wallet, go get one. You can use the Bitbox 02, Bitcoin only edition from shiftcrypto.ch. These are not hard to set up. Take care, guys. I'll catch you on the next show.